Well, I'm glad to be with you again. We're going to be continuing in our exposition of the Gospel of John. It's what we've been doing for a while. By way of introduction, one of the primary problems in Israel at this time when Jesus was doing his ministry was that that nation and the Israeli people, the Jewish people, were being led by false shepherds. These false shepherds were perpetuating false religion, primarily man-made traditions. And they were drawing the people away from their Messiah and away from true salvation. This is a, a big issue in that day. The religious leaders, the Jews that John has been talking about, they would be the primary uh, people that were perpetuating this stuff. So there was a lot of false religion in Jesus' day, and there were many, many, many false shepherds, false prophets, false teachers. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses a sheep ranching metaphor to totally expose these false shepherds as the thieves and robbers that they actually were. In our passage, he talks about how these thieves and robbers, these false shepherds, have come to steal, kill, and destroy, which would be the total opposite of what a shepherd is supposed to do. He protects his sheep. He nourishes his sheep. He does all of these wonderful things for the sheep, and these false Shepherds were doing the opposite. Jesus not only brutally exposes the false shepherds as thieves and robbers who have come to steal, kill, and destroy, He also presents Himself, most importantly, as the Good Shepherd. How many of you have heard that moniker, that title, Good Shepherd? Well, this is where we see it in John 10. So Jesus exposes the false shepherds and He proclaims Himself and presents Himself as the good shepherd who has come to do the opposite of what the false shepherds were doing, right? Steal, kill, destroy. Jesus has come to give life to his sheep. And not just life, but abundant life, the text says. Now, it's important to note that Jesus' discourse on himself as the good shepherd in chapter 10 flows directly from the events of chapter 9. There is no gap or break in thought between chapters 9 and 10. It's one continuous teaching and narrative. In fact, Jesus was still speaking to the same group of individuals, His disciples who were there, the formerly blind beggar, the guy He had healed and saved. Remember Him? Still talking to Him, still talking to His disciples, still talking to the hostile Pharisees. That would be part of that religious leader group. And He's also obviously presenting these truths to the others that were present in the crowd who had kind of just tailed along and followed him. I have divided chapter 10 into four parts. Over the next four weeks, Lord willing, we are going to look at four things. We're going to look at the summons of the Good Shepherd in verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at the salvation of the Good Shepherd in verses 7 through 21. We're going to look at the security of the Good Shepherd in verses 22 through 30. And then lastly, as I said, Lord willing, sometimes the Holy Spirit changes things up, but lastly, we'll focus on the sonship 
of the Good Shepherd in verses 31 through 42. So if you could, please take your Bibles and turn to John 10. Our focus today is on the summons of the Good Shepherd in verses 1 through 6. I'll give you a moment to turn there. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. We're just going to walk right carefully through this text. Are you there? All right. You're like, I've been there for 30 seconds. Hurry up and get to the message. Stop bloviating. Verse 1, let's take a look at it together. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, and these are the words of Jesus, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, the first thing you want to notice about this verse and about this new section, which is really nothing but a continuation, but it's a new set of teachings by Jesus, but the first thing you want to notice is what? The double emphatic, the double truly. And whenever we see it, we want to identify that, right? It doesn't appear that often. On occasion, Jesus says truly, truly. In some translations, it's verily, verily. What does truly, truly, the double emphatic signify? It signifies that Jesus, again, is about to say something extremely important. It's not that Jesus said things that weren't important, but some things had a heightened importance in in what he's about to say in this whole chapter. And he does it again. He says, truly, truly, I think in verse 7. So it appears several times, but Jesus had some highly important things to say to this crowd, to these people. Truly, truly, extremely important, something coming is what that signifies. And what does he do? He begins to describe false shepherds. And it's incredible to think that many of them are standing in front of him. Jesus was very bold. He wasn't mean. He wasn't brash. But he was bold enough to identify the enemy while the enemy is standing in front of him. He basically begins to describe the false shepherds. And firstly, he describes how they gain access to the sheep. In first century sheep ranching, the sheep were kept in a sheep fold, or what we would probably call a pen, which featured a single entrance exit called a gate or a door, but usually called a sheep gate. So if you can imagine in your mind's eye, you've got this pen, and I don't know what kind of fencing they use to close it off. Sometimes they use the natural surroundings. But for the most part, you have this pen, this sheepfold where the sheep are kept primarily at night because during the day they're out with the shepherd. At night they're kept in this, and there's one way in and out of this area, the sheep gate. And the sheep gate was controlled by a hireling called a gatekeeper, okay? The gatekeeper's job was primarily to watch the sheep and keep the gate, man the gate, and open the gate only for the shepherd and all that. But he was there when the shepherd wasn't there. And he had to be there all the time. And when the the shepherd would come for his sheep, usually early in the morning, he would leave the sheep with the gatekeeper in the pen at night. He would come early in the morning. That gatekeeper would do what? Because he knows the shepherd, because he's actually an employee of the shepherd, he's a paid person, he's a hireling, he's an employee, he would open the sheep gate and let the shepherd enter to take his sheep out to pasture. And then vice versa when the shepherd returns in the evening or late afternoon. Now, that's first century sheep ranching. 
That's how it's supposed to play out. And Jesus describes these false shepherds as completely different from a true shepherd. They do not engage the gatekeeper and go up to the entrance, the singular entrance exit, and address the gatekeeper. They're not let in by him. What do they do? They go into the sheepfold by another means. They do not use the sheep gate. Jesus describes them as as gaining access by either hopping the fence or by removing part of the fence like a thief or robber would do. Can you imagine when you have these so-called shepherds there listening to Jesus begin to teach these things, they must be thinking, I think he's talking about us. That we don't actually, we're not the real shepherds and we don't go through the gate like normal, we jump the fence. How dare he say these things about us? And that is precisely the parallel that Jesus was seeking to make early on in this metaphor. The Jews, or more specifically the Pharisees who were standing there, they're like spiritual thieves and robbers who hopped the fence and were now misleading and mistreating the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus basically called them self-appointed, because if you jump the fence, you haven't been appointed, right? You're doing things on your own. You don't have authorization. He basically calls them self-appointed, unauthorized shepherds or false shepherds. This correction that Jesus makes and and this statement that he makes, it's, it's not a kind one to them. In fact, I believe it's a Matthew 23, 7, woe. If you read Matthew 23, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you scribes. He says it seven times. He's basically cursing them and rebuking them. What he says here in his opening statement with the sheep ranching metaphor, what he does here is equivalent to what he does in Matthew 23. He literally hammers them. He hammers them. How do I know this to be true? Drop down to verse 31. The Jews, they picked up stones again to what? To kill him. This infuriated the religious leaders, what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus ain't done with them. We've got a whole chapter to look at. This is a Matthew 23, 7 will level rebuke here. You are, Jesus is calling the shepherds of Israel, false shepherds who have hopped the fence, who are unauthorized and self-appointed and misleading the sheep. Now, Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 10, is really what I would consider a key passage on identifying false shepherds. You might be asking yourself, well, how do we know that we're dealing with a false shepherd? How do we know that we're dealing with a real thing? How do we know that we're dealing with a mimic or a fake? And the two traits that, that stand out in that 10 verses of Ezekiel 34, there's two traits. There's more traits that they bear, but there's two traits that are exposited in this text. And and they are exploitation of the sheep, basically using the sheep for your own personal gain, and neglect of the sheep. And obviously, if you're exploiting and using the sheep or using people for your own personal gain, you're neglecting them. So according to Ezekiel 34, those would be two traits of a false shepherd. Exploitation or using the sheep and neglecting them. Here's some of the descriptors that are in that text. He's speaking of, Ezekiel is speaking of the false shepherds. What do they do? They feed themselves instead of feeding the sheep. Verse 2. 
So they're all about getting their nourishment and even slaughtering the sheep for their own meals, but they're not interested in in actually doing the job of caring for the sheep and making sure that the sheep are nourished. They feed themselves instead of the sheep. And if you think of the spiritual implication there, it would be the false shepherd, false pastor not feeding the sheep, not obeying the command that Jesus gave Peter, which is what? Peter, feed my sheep. And who comes after Peter? Popes? No. Pastors. Pastors are in the succession of Peter. After the apostles are gone, now you have pastors. It's a pastor's responsibility to feed the sheep. But some pastors are more interested in feeding themselves at the expense of the sheep. That's a false shepherd, according to Ezekiel 34. What else do they do? They, they eat the fat, clothe themselves with the wool, and slaughter the fat ones, it says. Verse 3. Again, here's the idea of self-benefit with absolutely no benefit, just total exploitation of the sheep. Another thing it says is they do not strengthen the weak. Sometimes sheep get weak and they need to be tended to. They do not heal the sick. Sometimes sheep eat something they're not supposed to eat. The shepherd turns his head. He eats something. The sheep eats something he's not supposed to eat. He gets sick. That's the shepherd's responsibility to take care of the weak sheep, to take care of those sheep that are sick. It also says bind up the injured. Sheep get injured. Pursue the strays. They don't even pursue the strays, those who kind of straggle off. And they're called to lead with gentleness and care. This is all in verse 4, but the false shepherds don't do any of that. They don't do any of that. In fact, in the text, if you go back and read it, Ezekiel 34, verse 4, it talks about ruling the sheep, kind of with an iron scepter. Get over here, you stupid sheep! That kind of thing, like I do with my dog once in a while. My wife's like, every day he does that. I can't help it. It just looks at me when I'm telling it what to do. And then she says, it's a dog! But it should know. What else do they not do? They do not protect the sheep and thus allow the sheep to become prey. Right? Not prey. Prey. (sighs) Eaten up. Wolves. Wild animals. Verse 8. So those are some... I'd say, key marks of a false shepherd, right? They feed themselves instead of the sheep. They exploit, they use, they don't strengthen, they don't heal, they don't bind up, they don't pursue, they don't lead with gentleness, they do not protect the sheep from predators. Spiritual implication, you've got pastors that are so-called shepherds that are doing this kind of stuff all the time. They're all about themselves. And that would be a question that I would ask you now is can you think of any current pastors, any current shepherds that exhibit any of these traits? Just think about it for a moment. You ever watch TBN? You're like, no, we're not that stupid. (laughs) You ever watch television and watch what some of these guys on television are saying and doing? Kenneth Copeland, no? Now, I rarely identify people by name, but I decided to go ahead and do that today. And, I, you know, it's silly, but it seems silly or whatever, and I get it. But, you know, I, I'm not interested in, in inflicting harm or trying to exalt us or me above others. That's not the heart behind naming names. 
The Apostle Paul actually named a few names in his epistles. Why? Because he wanted his people to be informed. I have learned in this day and age as a pastor, it's not enough to make generalizations. I can make generalizations till the sheep come home and people go right home and turn on Joel Osteen. So I have to say Joel Osteen. I, I, I don't understand it. So you, you can't just make generalizations all the time. Sometimes you've got to name a few names, especially in this day and age. And the Apostle Paul did that, and he did it not to be a jerk and not to be mean to those out there. He just wanted his readers to be educated. He wanted them to be equipped so that they could identify and steer clear of the charlatans that were around in his day. And there were many, there were many in his day. And I think there's far more today. There's far more today. So I'm following his example by naming a few names. Fifteen, to be precise. That's not a few, that's a lot. But in my opinion, these are today's top 15 false shepherds and shepherdesses. And I'm sure that you're very familiar with them. Most of you probably are. But obviously, I would start with the kingpin, which would be Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen is a false shepherd. I don't care how many times he says Christ. In fact, he says it very little. The man never preaches the gospel, never talks about sin, never calls for his people to repent. All he does is make best life now promises. That's all he does. And people love it and eat it up because he's not telling people what they actually need to hear. He is a false shepherd. He is a false shepherd, and that is a false church. Joyce Meyer, who flies around in her jet, she's a false shepherdess. She exploits people, takes their money, gives them false encouragement. How many of you have heard of Joseph Prince? He's a Korean guy, and that doesn't mean that he's bad because he's Korean. So don't think, oh my gosh, he's also a racist. No. <laughs> he's a Korean gentleman, nice guy, really nice guy, a talented uh, speaker, uh, but he's a false teacher. He's a false shepherd. His, his message doesn't it doesn't correlate or come from Scripture. You can tell when he preaches. T.D. Jakes, maybe that's a surprise for some of you because he's so good at communication, but he's, he's a false shepherd. Benny Hinn. I think, how many of you have heard of Benny Hinn? Yeah. And you've, have you ever seen the videos where he's like knocking people down with his jacket? That's kind of entertaining. Uh, he's a false shepherd. He's a false shepherd. John Hagee. He's on TV all the time. How about Creflo Dollar? You seen him? My son calls him Creflo Steal Your Dollar. He does sound like a rapper. I don't know about you, but if I'm a pastor and my last name's Dollar, I change that first thing I do. Right? Does that not sound like, whoa, your name's Pastor Dollar? He's all about the Benjamins, right? I mean, just, hello. He probably changed his name to Dollar. Uh, Harry's like, yeah. Here's the deal. I like some of these people. I like Creflo Dollar. I listen to him preach. Once in a while, I put him on TV. My wife's like, here we go. But I'll put him on, and I'll watch him. And some of the things that he says are great. But much of what he says is garbage and not of Scripture. And he's just a false shepherd. Kenneth Copeland, I already pointed to him. He's, he would be right up there with Joel Osteen. He's terrible. Jesse Duplantis. Have you ever seen him? He's the white guy that thinks he's black. He really does. He, he, he's, he's got the, he, he uses all the same vernacular and all that. I don't know if he's down in the south or what the heck he's doing. Uh, but if you listen to his message, it's horrific. It's terrible. It's garbage. Jim Baker. He's got my last name, but he uses two K, so I'm safe. 
You know, remember Jim Baker? You remember Tammy Faye and Jim Baker? Remember those two Klondikes? He's back, by the way. He's back on TV. Terrible. He's horrible. He's a false shepherd. And my wife and I were talking about this one day. We were saying he got exposed for, for stealing from people and for some sexual sin and all that. He got cast out. He was out. He didn't have a program. And yet 20 years later, he's back. How is it that he's back on TV and still doing call-ins and people are still paying him? Jimmy Swagger, it's the same way, you know? I just, I don't understand. Are, are we that gullible? But he's back, and you know what? He's a false shepherd. Paula White, you heard of her? She's on Trump's spiritual advisory team. The first thing he ought to do is remove her, but we're also talking about Trump. So I mean, there's just no telling where you could go there. Paula White, she's a sweet gal, a nice gal, talented speaker, but her message doesn't align with Scripture. Peter Popoff, he's bad stuff there. Rod Parsley, you heard of him? Yeah. Sid Roth, I call him Sid Vicious, but, you know. Sid Roth, terrible. How about, now, you've all probably heard of Pat Robertson. The 700 Club? Yeah. Yeah, remember, that show's been on since, you know, I was a zygote. Uh, he's, a false, he's a false shepherd. All of these people are false shepherds. And incredibly, they all, you can see traits in them from Ezekiel 34. The exploitation of the sheep, using the sheep for financial gain. Anyone who uses people, anyone who holds the office that I hold and uses this office and this position to get rich, false shepherd. It's always blown my mind how, how these guys have so much money. Have you ever seen Joel Osteen's house? It's pretty unreal. And, and how they, he allegedly worships a savior that didn't have a place to rest his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Jesus was essentially homeless. There's something wrong, isn't there? Would we all agree? Again, it's not about just, you know, making fun of these people or trying to be mean. It's they're false shepherds, false shepherdesses. They mislead people. They have hopped the proverbial fence. That's what they've done. On September 17th and 18th of this year, RHC will be hosting a two-day seminar called Clouds Without Water, which deals primarily with false shepherds. And one of today's leading voices against these charlatans and crooks, again, he's not doing it just to be mean. He's doing it to equip the sheep because sometimes the sheep don't know any better. But this guy's name is Justin Peters, and he'll be here. It's going to be phenomenal. It's not going to cost you anything. It's going to be during the evening. I think it's a Monday and Tuesday night, um, 6.30 to 8.30, something like that. I'll give you more details as it comes out, but you're going to want to be here to listen to that. That's going to be very helpful. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10 also tells us that when Messiah... Now, this is what's so incredible. Here's the prophetic implication of Ezekiel 34. It also tells us that when Messiah, right? Because the whole Old Testament is always pointing to the fact that Messiah is going to come, right? It says that when Messiah comes, He will do what? Rebuke the false shepherds of Israel and deliver the sheep from their hands. That's something that Jesus literally came to do. What is he doing in this text? 
He's rebuking the false shepherds. He's beginning to do that. So there's your prophecy way back in Ezekiel that's starting to come to pass right here in John. It's amazing. Listen to what it says in verse 2 of that Ezekiel text. Son of man, which Jesus, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Something that Jesus came to do. And then down in verse 10, again of the same text, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. How cool is that? This is precisely what Jesus, the Son of Man, rewind back to chapter 9, verse 35, where he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is precisely what Jesus, the Son of Man, was beginning to do here with these false shepherds. He's rebuking them. Now, he's been rebuking them before, but now he's pointing out the fact that they're false shepherds, the fact that they're misleading the people and that they're a bunch of fence hoppers. Now, look at verse 2. And this is where he begins to point to himself. Jesus says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, the one who comes through the gate is the shepherd, not the one who jumps the fence. Jesus literally contrasts the fence hopper with one who enters the sheepfold through the door or the sheep gate. That person that comes through the sheep gate, through the door, he is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd of the sheep is neither self-appointed nor unauthorized. His use of the sheep gate shows that he is God-appointed, God-sent, and God-authorized. His use of the sheep gate shows that the gatekeeper not only knows him, but works for him and gives him access to the sheep. Who was Jesus referring to? Himself. Jesus is the one who enters through the door, the sheep. He is the, he's the one that enters through, through the sheep gate. He is the shepherd of the sheep. I like what Warren Wiersbe wrote here on this text. He said, when Jesus came to the nation of Israel, he came the appointed way, just as the scriptures promised. Now listen to Isaiah 40, verse 11, and Micah 5, 4. Like a shepherd, he will tend. This is written 700 years before Jesus comes in Isaiah. Like a shepherd, speaking of the Messiah, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Amazing prophecy about the good shepherd Jesus, 700 years before he even comes. Now here's one in Micah 5, 4. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Another prophetic reference to the good shepherd, Jesus. Now in verses 3 and 4, Jesus describes three things. I hope you're ready to write them down. A, his access. Verse 3a, he says it like this. To him, speaking of the one who comes up to the gate, to him, he's the shepherd, right? To him, the gatekeeper opens. As I stated earlier, gatekeepers were hirelings or paid employees of the shepherds. It was the gatekeeper's job to watch over the sheep at night and open the sheep gate for the shepherd when he came for his sheep. Gatekeepers are like under-shepherds. 
Okay, they're like a shepherd, but not really the shepherd. They're like an under-shepherd. They serve under the shepherd, but they're considered to be like shepherd-like. In Jesus' analogy, the, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and gives him access to the sheepfold because he knows that he is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, in a similar way, pastors are like gatekeepers or elders are like gatekeepers and under-shepherds. What do we do? What is my job? It's to watch over the flock for the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And what else? To work. It's my job. It's the elder's job as under-shepherds, as gatekeepers in a sense. It is our job to work to connect the sheep with their shepherd through the ministry of the Word. Right? That's my primary responsibility. The ministry of the Word to the sheep and prayer. Those are the two things that I've been charged to do. I do a lot more than that. Bruce does a lot more than that, Cameron and others, but those are our primary. If we had to drop everything else and leave other things, the two things we could not leave are prayer and the ministry of the Word. We could leave everything else. Please step up so I can do that. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing bathrooms. I don't actually do bathrooms. I did it first, but I don't anymore. So the first thing that he presents here about himself is his access. It's to him, to Jesus, the good shepherd, that the gatekeeper opens the gate. The gatekeeper does not open the gate for others, only for Jesus. And if others get in, it's because they've done what? Hop the fence. B, his summons. And that's verse 3b. Listen to what Jesus says here. It's remarkable. The sheep... Hear his voice. Speaking of himself, the good shepherd, the sheep hear his voice, the voice of the good shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name. Look at that detail. When a shepherd entered the sheepfold, he would begin to summons his sheep to come to him. He would call to them. In a similar way, when Jesus entered the sheepfold, Israel, he began to summons his sheep through the gospel to what? To come to him. He proclaims the gospel. He proclaims himself as Messiah. And he calls for and summons and invites people to come to him for salvation. MacArthur wrote, Jesus' imagery pictures the human response to the effectual divine call to salvation. I like that. Now, hopefully, by this time, many of you have been plugged in at this church for a long time. We have a few visitors here. But hopefully, by this time, we, we understand the differences between the general and effectual calls. How many of you can remember me talking about the general call and the effectual call? Absolutely nobody. Anyone can remember me talking about these things? I talk about them all the time. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> the other under-shepherd in the room knows what I'm talking about. All the sheep have no idea. I'm failing. Oh, let me just describe to you what's going on here. You have a general calling that goes out. You have an effectual call that goes out. This is theology 101. This is good stuff. The general call, okay? Think of the general call, the first one. The general call, which is made by preachers and basically anyone who shares the gospel, it goes out to anyone and everyone who's listening. Right now, if I'm proclaiming the gospel, I'm doing it in a general way to everyone in here. What is the gospel? The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation, right? For our victory. There, I just preached the gospel. It's going out in a general way. 
And if I say you need to believe in Jesus, there it is. There's the general call. It goes out from me in a general way to all who are listening, right? That's the general call. The effectual call is different. The effectual call is made by the Holy Spirit, John 3, 8. And it goes into Jesus' named sheep. Remember, he calls them by name. He knows them by name. The, the effectual call is made by the Holy Spirit when the gospel is proclaimed. And it goes into Jesus' named known sheep and brings them to spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 5. It gives them the effectual call. The Holy Spirit through the effectual call gives them the gifts of faith and repentance. Ephesians 2, 8. 2 Timothy 2, 25. How many of you realize that your faith, the faith that you have, didn't originate in you? That it's a gift from God to you imparted by the Holy Spirit. How many of you realize that? That's not something that's taught in churches today, which is very tragic. Faith didn't originate in me. You know what originates in me? Filth. Sin. That's what originates in me. But thanks be to God, the work of the Holy Spirit, I have faith. He gave it to me as a gift. Did you also know that repentance is a gift that's granted? We don't naturally repent. We don't have any taste or mind or heart for God in our natural state. But the Holy Spirit effectually calls, changes our disposition and heart. We're born again by the Spirit. We have the gifts of faith and repentance. Pretty amazing which happens. And what, what else happens in the effectual call? The person is what? Raised to spiritual life, given those gifts, which what? They gladly, the recipient gladly receives. There's no resistance. God does that work in you. You don't say, I don't want this. You say, I finally found truth. I finally found hope. I finally found what I've always been looking for that I didn't know what I was looking for. That's what you say. We gladly receive it. It's irresistible. Read 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, Acts 13, 48, Acts 16, 14. There's a whole mess of texts. I think R.C. Sproul hit the nail on the head when he said, and I love this. Listen to this quote from him. This guy was awesome. God's grace is so powerful that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. Isn't that amazing? God's grace is so powerful and so potent when it is given and granted by the Holy Spirit, it just grabs a hold of you and overcomes your naturalness and your dislike of God and your dislike of the things of God. It changes who you are. It is that powerful. It is that powerful. So there's the general which goes out to all, and then there's the effectual, which happens when the general is being made, where the Spirit changes a person, and they become a believer in all of that stuff. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. So the whole idea of sheep hearing his voice, that's the effectual call. The person who's a sheep hears the voice of the Savior and responds positively to it. There it is. Some shepherds even gave their sheep individual names, okay? Come here, black sheep. That's the one who's always going astray, right? Come here, lamb chop. That's the dumb sock puppet. <laughs> Remember that thing? I was like, Mom, that, I'm not into that anymore. I like Power Rangers now. You're going to watch it, and you're going to like it. The, some shepherds even gave their sheep individual names, which I think is just extraordinary. I don't know what kind of names they gave them, but, you know, they just they gave them names. There was a... 
a, 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 not an intimacy, because that's really bizarre to say that you have an intimacy with an animal. I guess you can have intimacy with a pet. I mean, some people think of their pets as, you know, family members, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Have any of you seen the murdered dog signs on light posts all through town? Did you hear about what happened with this family? Their house was burglarized, and the idiot burglars killed their dog. Why do you kill the dog? It was a beagle. It was Snoopy. What the heck is Snoopy going to do? Hef, 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 and you kill it? This, have you ever seen John Wick? That's all I'll say. Have you seen the movie? They killed his dog. What happened? He killed all of Russia. It's unreal. But the shepherd had, I wouldn't say he had a relationship with his sheep, but he loved his sheep enough to, to give them names, to call them by name. We give our dogs names. MacArthur again says Jesus calls his own sheep by name because why? They are his. Their names were written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain, Revelation 13, 8. And they, right, Jesus' sheep whom he named, they have been given to him by the Father, John 6, 37. I'm reminded of that uh, that old Irish hymn we sing on occasion here at the church. It has that, that line that says, My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Right? Is that before the throne of God? I love that song. It's such a good song. I heard a pastor recently say that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross with names. He took the names of his sheep to the cross and died specifically for them. And it's a great number according to Revelation 7, 9. Although whenever I study the teachings of Jesus, to me the church seems to get smaller and smaller, especially when you look at a text like this. Anyways, our, he has our names. If we are his sheep, he has our names. He knows our names. Now, Jesus may summons many with the gospel, but only those whom he named and effectually calls through the Holy Spirit shall come to him. That's reality. You ever noticed how not everyone gets saved? There you go. Only the sheep get saved. And he's the only one who knows exactly who the sheep are. We don't know. We can talk to a brother or sister, someone who professes to be a brother or sister of Christ. We can get an idea. Oh, yeah, they seem like a real Christian and all that. I can't see their heart. I can't see what's really going on in there. But for the most part, we treat those who say they're brothers and sisters and behave like it. We treat them like brothers and sisters. But Jesus knows his sheep in a way that we don't. He knows exactly who is a true sheep. And he foreordained to save them, and he named them. And their names were written in his book before the foundation of the world was ever laid. We, our God is amazing. It's amazing what he's done. It's incredible. And the sheep whom he effectually calls and summons through the gospel and through the work of the Holy Spirit, they alone are his sheep. No one else gets saved, just the sheep. And that seems very restrictive, but I'm not God and I didn't design the plan. So, and I'm not boasting about it because I wonder why he chose me. It makes no sense. I know me. I'm a disaster. But he did it. He did it by his mercy. He did it by his mercy. I've often said that to you. The better question to ask is why not everyone or why not that person or that? The better question to ask is why me? Why me? Why would you save me? 
You see, if you say, it's not fair, what about everyone else? That sounds like you have some kind of a, an expectation there for God. And, uh, you know, we don't control God. God does what He has planned to do from eternity past, and, and we have to go along with it and accept it. But I rejoice that He chose me. I don't know why. I know why. The Scripture says He loved me and because of His mercy. But to me personally, I think I'm very unlovable at times, especially when I'm moving. That's my wife. Gosh, disaster. I felt like I lost grace this last week. I can't even sin my way out of His grace. I certainly try at times. Jesus, the true and good shepherd, not only enters the sheepfold, He's let in by the gatekeeper. He calls His sheep by name. Not only that, but He also leads them, and that leads us to see His leadership. 3C through, verses, uh, through verse 4. It says, and leads them out. So He goes in and He leads them out. And then it says, when He has brought out all His own, all His own, look at that, they belong to Him. Why do they belong to Him? Because He paid for them on the cross. He died for them. He paid for them with His own blood. Brought out all His own. They are His. They are His. We are His. And it says, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Love it. After establishing His presence among His sheep, the shepherd would lead them beside a gentle stream or a, a water hole that was safe where they could satisfy their thirst. And then, and then He would lead them into the pasture where they could graze and be nourished. The entire time that He's out in the wilderness with the sheep, He is ready to fend off predators with His shepherd's rod. And He is ever watchful for those straggler sheep like Phil Baker. He's watching for those stragglers like me and you. What? Which he would hook and redirect with his shepherd's staff. You know how it's got that hook in it? That's to grab them by the neck and put them back in line when they're going, duh. I do it. I did it while I was moving. He's out there. He's protecting. He's watching for predators and he brings them back into the fold when they attempt to go out of the fold. And incredibly, I think this is probably one of the most extraordinary things here, and it's mentioned in the text, is that a shepherd literally trained his sheep to recognize and follow only his voice. I like what Philip Keller wrote. He said, the relationship which rapidly develops between a shepherd and the sheep under his care is to a definite degree dependent upon the use of the shepherd's voice. Sheep quickly become accustomed to their owner's particular voice. They are acquainted with its unique tone. They know its particular sounds and inflections. They can distinguish it from that of any other person. Now, we typically think of sheep as being dumb animals. They're not. They have a voice recognition ability that exceeds ours, and it's just extraordinary. And a shepherd trains them his voice and the way that he speaks and all of that, and they learn uh, exactly who he is, and they listen to the inflections and the way he speaks and all of the phrasing, all of that, they learn that. In a similar way, Jesus the Good Shepherd leads his sheep out of death, right? Not just out of the pen, but out of death into life, John 5, 24. Out of darkness into light, First Peter 2, 19. 
out of the world into His kingdom, Colossians 1.13. Out of sorrow into joy, John 16.20. Out of mourning into dancing, Psalm 30, verse 11, etc., etc. Didn't we sing that earlier? Taste and see. Uh, it's got that line in it, you turn my mourning into dancing. It's based right on that psalm. In a similar way, the good shepherd leads his sheep, not out of a sheep pen, but out of all of these far more significant and important things. He also, Jesus also protects his sheep from ravenous wolves. Who are the ravenous wolves? False shepherds, false teachers, false prophets. And what else does he do? He cares for his sheep by meeting their physical needs. He, he makes sure we're fed. We have shelter and clothing in these things, does he not? Read Psalm 23. What do you think? That's a random text just to describe some shepherd? It's a prophetic text about the good shepherd. Jesus. Psalm 23 is phenomenal. What else does Jesus do as our good shepherd? He gives us living water to satisfy our spiritual thirst. John 4.10. What else does he do? He gives us the bread of life right? He is the bread of life. Why? To satisfy our spiritual hunger, not just our spiritual thirst, but our spiritual hunger. John 6.35. And you know what? Here's a great parallel. Jesus, the good shepherd, also trains his sheep to recognize his voice through the faithful exposition of Scripture. And when his sheep hear his voice because they've been trained by Jesus. Who do you think is actually pastoring this church? Phil Baker? Jesus! Jesus is the pastor here. Jesus is the one. He is the shepherd here, not me. He trains his sheep to recognize his voice. And once he has done that and continues to do that through the exposition of Scripture, what do they do? They hear his voice and they follow him. That's what it says in the text. Now look at 5. Verse 5. Ah, this is where Jesus starts to put it on the false teachers or false shepherds again. A stranger, he says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. That's interesting. Sheep become so familiar. Again, back to this sheep herding or ranching analogy. Sheep become so familiar with their owner's voice, with their shepherd's voice, they will not respond to strangers. They will not. I don't know if you were you know, raised on a ranch or if you visited a ranch or if you've ever dealt with sheep, but I did one time in my whole life, and when I was out there with a few sheep, I was talking to them, and they acted like I wasn't there. But as soon as my friend came over, they're like, ah! I'm like, dude, that's favoritism. It's banned in the Bible. What's going on here? He's like, they're sheep. Don't worry about it. Literally, they, they become so accustomed to the voice, they don't, they don't listen to other people. They're watchful. They're smart enough to walk away from trouble, but you can sit there and talk to them and, and whatever, and if they don't, they're not trained to know your voice. They're not going to respond to you. They don't respond to strangers. And I like what Philip Keller says again here. He says, if a stranger should come among the sheep, they would not recognize nor respond to his voice in the same way they would to that of the shepherd. Even if the visitor should use the same words and phrases as that of the rightful owner, they would not react in the same way. Like if the, if the shepherd yelled, sheep, they would respond positively to him. If I yelled it and they don't know me, they're like, this is a dummy. They don't even respond. 
It, he says it is a case of becoming actually conditioned to the familiar nuances and personal accent of their shepherd's call. Isn't that extraordinary? In a similar way, again, a parallel, in a similar way, Jesus' sheep become so familiar with His voice, Scripture. What is the voice of Christ? It is the Word of God. It is Scripture. It is the, it is the canon of Scripture, right? His sheep become so familiar with His voice, with Scripture, over time, they are able to identify what? Fence-hopping false shepherd strangers. And what? Flee from them. If you've ever wondered why people stay in places like the Potter's House or Lakewood Church, you know, that'd be Osteen's Church, or, or Bethel in Reading, which is a disaster. If you've ever wondered why people who profess Christ stay in those dens of robbers, because that's all they are. If you've ever wondered, how is that possible? Have you ever said that to yourself? I have. I have, I have said, I can't figure out why there's 52,000 people that show up at Lakewood Church in Texas to hear Joel Osteen. How is this possible? When I listen to his message in two seconds, I mean, this guy's a false shepherd. What is going on here? How, how does this happen? How do people stay in these circles, in these places, in these dens of robbers? How do they do that? I, I don't get it. Well, it's probably because they do not know the voice of the good shepherd. They do not know the Scripture. They may know something about Scripture, but they don't know the Scripture well enough to know that they're being, trying to be deceived. The voice they have become familiar with and follow is that of the false shepherd who tickles their ears with false promises each week, right? That's the voice they become familiar with. Your ship is on the horizon. Your season is coming. You ever heard that crap? You're about to step into your destiny. You just got to make the step. I don't know why I'm using the accent. I don't even know what accent that is. Have your best life now. In fact, you can speak your best life into existence. I've spoken myself into jail a couple times. Not working. Sow a seed. You heard that one? I'd like to sew their lips shut. It's garbage. It's deception. It's deceiving. And, and it's what we want to hear because it makes us feel good. But it's not transformative. It doesn't change us. It makes us more infatuated with ourselves, doesn't it? You ask why people stay in these places? Because people, in general, like to have their ears tickled. They like to be told positive, good things. <laughs> Jesus said, I did not come for peace. I came with a sword. Well, I'm going to leave that part out of my gospel presentation because that, you know, that's, that's what gets people fired up and then they leave my church. Then I can't pay the rent. Uh, that's what happens. It's, it's tragic. It's sad. I'll tell you, if the religious leaders at this point here, if they were wondering why the sheep of Israel were leaving their clique, leaving their fold to follow Jesus, it's because these people, the sheep of Israel, were hearing for the first time the actual voice and effectual call 
of the good shepherd. That's why people were leaving the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the false religion of that day, because God was calling them out of it through Jesus. Did the people whom Jesus was speaking to here right at this moment, especially the religious leaders, did they understand the spiritual implications of this first part of Jesus' sheep ranching metaphor? Because he continues to do this. Did they understand what he was saying? No. Look at 6. John simply records this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Was this just a case of common ignorance? No. This is a case of willful disobedience. The religious leaders were, and that's primarily who Jesus is addressing, they were so ingrained in the belief that as Abraham's descendants, they were part of God's flock that they completely missed Jesus' indictment of them when he stated that he was the true shepherd and they were the false shepherds to whom the sheep would not listen. They didn't want to believe Jesus. They rejected him. How dare this guy call us false shepherds who have hopped the fence. We are Abraham's seed we're, we're more shepherd than this guy will ever be. That's what they thought. And that's what they taught the people. Pretty sad. Closing. Has the good shepherd summoned you? Have you heard his voice? Do you belong to him by grace through faith? Hmm? Are you in his sheepfold? The answer is yes. Know that your name was written in his book before the foundation of the world. You didn't bring yourself into his fold. He brought you in. All the way from the incarnation becoming a person God becoming man to living a perfect life for you, dying on a cross for you, all of that, it's all Him. If it weren't for the Good Shepherd, you would not be in the sheepfold. What does that mean? It means you give Him praise. You give Him praise. It means you, you give Him all the glory for your salvation. All of it. Don't hold anything back. Don't attribute anything to yourself. Give it to Him. If, if you answer yes, seek the Good Shepherd's voice in Scripture. Don't sit there and go, speak to me. Because anything and everything will speak to you. Most of the time it's our conscience and it's not after good things. Of course, our conscience is being renewed by the Word if we're in it. The idea that you know, God is speaking to us in these various ways, I reject. I reject it. He has spoken to us. And if He speaks to us outside of this, it sounds just like this. I remember one time I heard a guy say, Yeah, I remember I was standing there in the wilderness and the Lord told me to go sit on that log. 
immediately I started trying to find a text that says, go sit on a log. <laughs> I can't find it. You see, we, we downgrade this when we start coming up with all of these other things. He has spoken to us. And if He speaks to us, it's going to sound just like this. It's the Scripture. The Good Shepherd's Word. He is the Word become flesh. This is His Word. All that you ever need to know is right here. This is it. This is our authority. This is completely sufficient. How do you seek His voice? You read His Word. You sit under the, a good preacher. You do, that's what you do. You listen to messages. You read books that have to do with good theology and these things. You can hear Jesus when you hear the Scripture. So you seek His voice. That means you seek Scripture. And more importantly, and not more importantly, but equally importantly, you follow His lead. We're His sheep. We're supposed to follow the Good Shepherd. Not our own flesh. Not our own wills. Not our own desires. None of that. We follow Him. We keep our eyes on Him. And we listen for His voice, which sounds like Scripture. And that's what we do. And we need to steer clear of those fence-hopping false shepherd strangers. They are literally everywhere. The ones that I mentioned on my 15 list, they're not even in this community, but there's probably 15 within two blocks. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. I suspect that there's more false shepherds out there than there are true under-shepherds. You know what to look for. First of all, they don't sound anything like Jesus in the Word. you got an issue. If they're all about themselves and their bank accounts and their cars and their flash, get out of there. If they're making false promises, get out of there. They're everywhere. And I would say this. Pray for those who are controlled by the flesh, because that's ultimately what happens on our side. Pray for those who are controlled by the flesh and under the spell of these charlatans. Pray for them. Jesus is, is currently delivering His sheep from various forms of false religion. He is doing that. He's delivering people out of the health and wealth movement. He's delivering people out of the prosperity movements. He's He's delivering people out of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism. He's bringing people out of these false systems. He is. He's drawing his sheep to himself. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray for people who are in that stuff. Pray that Christ would take them out of it and bring them out. He's doing it. Or maybe you're like the religious leaders. You know, you don't understand what Jesus was saying because you believe, maybe because you're like the religious leaders, you already believe you're in God's flock. There's a lot of people that are under that misconception. I don't need to listen to Jesus. I don't need to submit myself to the good shepherd. I don't need to believe in him by grace through faith. I don't need to do any of that because I'm already in God's sheepfold. Why? Because of my religious upbringing. I was raised as a Christian, so I'm good. Or I was born in a Christian nation. This nation has never been Christian, and it never will be. Doesn't mean there haven't been good Christians in there. 
being born here, there's absolutely no advantage to your spiritual life being born in America. In fact, I think it's more of a detriment than anything else. That's what happens when you're raised in a democracy where you can vote in your leaders. I vote Jesus in or I vote him out. Did you know that people that are raised under monarchies do a lot better with God's sovereignty than people who are raised in democracies? They've never known anything but being ruled by a king. But here, it's up to us who we put in office. We have the choice. Jesus is the king of kings. Doesn't matter what you think. People say, well, you know, my religious upbringing, I was in church all the time. I was in Sunday school. I, you know, I memorized books of the Bible. I did all this stuff. Or, you know, I, I do a lot of good deeds. And, you know, and I, I go to Mass. And, I, you know, I bow to Mary. And, you know, I do all this stuff. I do all this religion. I'm good to go. I'm in the sheepfold. You ain't in the fold. If you ain't in Christ, you ain't in the fold. Make no mistake, there is only one shepherd who can bring you into the sheepfold of God, Jesus Christ. He's it. The buck stops with Him. Religion won't get you into it. Good deeds won't get you into it. Your upbringing, religious leaders thought that. Well, we came from Abraham, so we're pretty good. Well, I came from Bob Baker. I must be pretty good. No, you're not. No advantage. You must put your faith entirely in the Good Shepherd, in Christ. Apart from Him, we are but goats. Don't get offended, Brenda, wherever you are, because her last name's Goats. Every time I say Goats or whatever, she's like, my last name's Goats, how dare he? Well, you have an E on the end. I'm not talking about that, Goats, but be careful, sister. Jesus is it. Apart from Christ, apart from the Good Shepherd, we are but goats. And on Judgment Day, the Lord will separate the sheep from the goats, won't He? Matthew 25, 31 through 46. To the sheep He will say, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And to the goats He will say, Depart from Me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hear the summons of the good shepherd today. It's not me that's making it, it's Jesus. Repent and trust in him alone for your salvation. Believe that Jesus lived a perfect life to earn your righteousness because you can't come up with it on your own. Believe that He died to pay for your sins. You can't pay for your sins. There's too many. Only He paid for your sin. Only He met the requirements to make the payment for sin. Us as human beings could never do that. Believe that He earned your righteousness. Believe that He died to pay for your sins. Believe that He was buried in a tomb to settle your account. Believe that He rose from the grave three days later to secure your victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. If you do that, welcome to the fold.